Alright, the Lord is good. If you believe it, give me an amen. amen. Alright, we are going to um, continue our school of prayer today, looking at how to release the, the power of God in our everyday lives, release God's provisions, which we have seen uh, in His promises. Before we go into the declarations, we'll, 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 sorry, we'll teach a bit, and then before we start that, let's take our declaration, we can take our seats. Alright, the Lord is good. Let's check the atmosphere so that the spirits can talk to us. Amen? Amen. All right, one, two, let's go. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, and I'm being filled with the knowledge of His will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing Him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to His word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen? amen. I said amen. amen. The Lord is ready to bless you again today. Amen. If you believe it, give me an amen. amen. All right, let's take our seats. The Lord is good. All God's provisions are where? Say it one more time. All God's provisions are where? And his promises. They are encapsulated in what he has um, given to us as his promises. You know, I was sharing with my wife just a few minutes ago something I was writing yesterday. And the book, by God's message, you'll be able to read before the end of the year. All right? Um, And I realized that what God wants more than any other thing. You know, sometimes we work very hard so we can give God money. You understand my point? Some people are laboring very hard that, look, if I can just make a hundred million naira, I'm going to give 90 million for the preaching of the gospel. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? No catch to it, all right? Is that a good or bad thing? It's a good thing. Amen. Sometimes people will say, let me go and, uh, you know, let me leave everything I'm doing to go and spend time to preach the word. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Now, so sometimes I will now look at Abraham. He gave Isaac to God because God asked for him. Isaac was not just a child. Of course, he wasn't a child at that time. Uh, the rabbis, well, the Jewish rabbis believe he was about 37 years of age. I don't know why they arrived at 37, but I always knew he was between 30 and 40. So when I saw that he was 37, I had to verify that, that they believe it. I said, okay, that's good. So it was not a 10-year-old, 12-year-old you see in pictures drawn. When God said they should go and sacrifice him, he was a man. He was a man. Sometimes we wonder that ah, if he's a man, he will have fought. You know, you are a stubborn child. So, you know, that's why you are thinking so. <laughs> the way those people were raised, there's no way. If the father said lie down here, he would lie down there. That's a matter of fact. But the point I want to make is that that was, assume he was 35, just to make it easy, let's assume he was 35 years old. So you can imagine that the, the promise was how long before? Before he was born? 25. 25 plus 35 is what? 60 years. 60 years after the promise, he said, kill the child. Kill the man. This was the person upon whom all the promises of God hung. He said, kill him. Now, we look at it, such a precious descendant. Abraham agreed, and he did exactly what God said. And the way we look at it is that he loved God so much, he wanted to give God anything. So a woman, 
loves her husband or the husband loves the wife so much, one needs a kidney, he gladly give it. You say that is love, right? It's not a lie, it's love. There's no catch to it, okay? So we tend to interpret that. That's the same way I would donate my kidney to my wife or my son. That is the way Abraham donated his kidney to God. You know what I'm trying to say? Isaac was like, was that precious? Was that precious? We tend to look at that. I saw one movie the other day. I stumbled into the movie. And the man, a boy needed a heart. So the father said, if I shoot myself, will you take my heart? The doctor said, lie, lie. He said, I will shoot you. The doctor said, no problem. Shoot yourself, I'll take your heart. And he put a gun to his head and pulled the trigger, except that he forgot to release the safety catch. So he said, okay, so sorry. He started again, and he not only found the heart for the child. Real love. And all of this was being caught on camera. That was not what Abraham did when he gave to God. Even though all these things are good, make a hundred million, give ninety million to the preaching of the gospel. Is it a bad thing? It's a good thing, right? Yes. But that was not what Abraham did that excited God. What Abraham did that excited God was that he trusted his promise. What did I say? What did I say? He trusted the promise of God. He trusted the promise of God. God said, in Isaac will your seed be. And God said, kill that same Isaac. Giving 90 million, which is 90% of your income to God, is good, but it's not exciting to him. He said, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. Sometimes people say that if, when you do that kind of thing to God, God will answer you. It's a lie. What did I say? It's a lie. That's what I said. What did I say? It's a lie. If it is good, do it. Don't, don't count on any special... No one and I go to God's presence. God, God now knows that, ha, we are the sacrificers. The pillars of the gospel. That's your problem, not his. Is he particularly excited? No. He wants to know why you are doing it. It's a motivation in your heart that counts to, for him. If somebody told you, when you do that, God will answer you specially. You are a sinner. The person who preached to you is a sinner. Did you hear what I said? It's not a joke. I hope you know I'm not joking. This man is looking surprised. <laughs> He's looking surprised. It's the truth. You know, I say it all the time. Giving is good, amen? amen? Giving is very good. My wife likes me giving her things. Sometimes it's surprising why she wants me to give her something. What I have is dying. But if I give her something, if I give my wife 1,500 naira, airtime. <laughs> You still be so excited. 21 years of marriage, you are still excited over one five card. Which you have. So giving is good. Amen? Giving is very good. One brother gave me money once. It wasn't huge money. It was 500 naira. This was last year. So 500 naira last year, you understand the value. For those who are international, that would be about uh, less than $2. But in purchasing power parity, it should be about $10. Okay? So it's not as if it's fantastic, an amount of money. But there's a way he gave it to me that I kept in a special pocket. I kept the money in a special pocket. So I started looking. So I called one brother. He works with us in the ministry, not physically here, but one of the people that I give to the ministry. And all that. I said, ah, you, you work in this ministry. Let's go and spend an offering. <laughs> he dashed me the money. He said, I have blessed him so much. That 500 naira was, was special to me. So we started looking for a way to buy a drink so we can drink. You know, there's a drink you drink, and heaven is drinking with you. But we didn't find it. It was late in the evening. The hotel, I think, 
Anyway, we're having a program. So I finally I look at brother. I said, listen, I'm going to give you this money. Please eat it specially. The person I'm giving the 500 naira to, first, the person that was given the 500 naira originally, which is me. You understand? I have many 500s. The person I was giving the 500 naira to has many, many 500s. But it was special. So I said, make sure this money does not get missing. Don't exchange it for any other one. As a, a giver, like, go and buy something. Buy a bolly and eat it as Thanksgiving. So giving is very good. I'm not saying it's not good. It's, I mean, it's fantastic. So if we want to give, what should we do? We give. Learn a good habit. Give to your wife after 21 years of marriage. <laughs> not because you are looking for anything. But because giving is what? Good. Your friend is parking to a house, buy him a foot mat. You can't buy something big, but ah, this is your new house. I like it too. Buy a foot mat. Your friend is wedding, buy a crate of drinks. This is what I can contribute. If that's all I can contribute. Giving is very, it's very, very good. I'm not emphasizing that it is good. However, never come to prayer feeling like a righteous man. I give 90% of my income, so God will answer me. That's okay. What if I don't answer you? What will you now do? Let's bear that in mind. It's very, very crucial we get this point. It's very crucial. Like I was sharing with my wife about an hour ago. God, you know why, one reason why it doesn't excite God? Should I tell you one reason? Because he never accepts a sacrifice that he did not give you first. Never. If the money was your own, you walked for it and brought it and you gave it to God, it's rejected. The only sacrifice he accepts is the one he gave you first. So before Hannah could give Samuel, God gave her Samuel. Before Abraham could give Isaac, God gave him Isaac. That's why it doesn't excite him. So when you come with the 90%, God say two things. One, if I'm not the one that gave you, for example, you went and stole it. Is it acceptable? No. So we reject it. If I'm the one that gave you and you brought it, what's the excitement? <laughs> I don't know whether you get to my point. It's not exciting. That's why he can't be excited by the size of the offering. Because one, if he did not give you first, it is not acceptable at all. And if he gave you first, what is the excitement? Bear that in mind. Let me just finish sharing that thing my wife and I were discussing. That maybe that's why it's just in my mind. I'm going somewhere. I've not lost track at all. That was why he did not accept the sacrifice of Cain. Cain said, I'm going to give you the one that I produce. Because said, listen, I give Abel what to bring. Abel brought it. You brought the one I didn't ask for. So what you're going to do is that you will now give me the one I want. You know what God now did? Just to help you. This is not part of our message. It's just, like they say, no, no extra charge. Are we charging for it? Just learn something. So God dragged another lamb or, or a goat or ram, whatever, and brought it, kept it at the door. And went and told Cain, why are you shouting? What's the anger about? I did not accept your sacrifice. He said, if you have done well, you'll have been accepted. He said, no, let's settle it. There is a sin offering at the door. Go and take it and offer it. And Cain said, no, I do it my way. God said, I reject you permanently. He says, is that in the Bible? Clearly. We just didn't know how to read it. He says, sin light what? what? Sin light where? At the door. Sin there is sin offering lies at the door. God brought one and kept it for Cain. Cain was just supposed to humble himself, take it and offer it to God. God will have accepted. Like I said, no extra charge for that. Sin lies at the door, that's what it means. That word sin there means sin, a sin offering. 
Okay, let's settle this. Look at the entrance. There is a ram there. Take it and offer it. Stubbornness is a bad thing. Anybody that's stubborn will be destroyed. That's a matter of fact. So let's sit on our message, all right? So what excited God about Abraham's offering? You know what it was? That the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that even though he knew that this, all these promises hung on Isaac. And because he said, in Isaac will your seed be. So if Isaac dies, God has to raise him up again from what? From the dead. That was what excited God. It wasn't the size of the offering. It was a trust that a man had in him. And listen, it took God 60 years to produce that. 60 years God worked to produce that in a man. So God was excited for two things. One, our lessons worked. Two, somebody learned it. Do you follow my point? He was excited about himself, the work he had done, and two, about the person he did the work on. That was excited God. I was trying to emphasize, I don't think that it is size of what I give to God that excites God. No. It is that I trust him. The excitement, what impresses God about your life is the amount of reliance you can rely on him. Do you follow my point? So the person who doesn't give God anything, but if God says jump from here, and it shows God has said jump, he will jump. He said, what if you die? He said, God said jump, let's die. I don't know whether you're getting my point. That's the one that excites God. He didn't bring an offering when coming to church. But when he heard the word, jump, he said, from where? The Lord says, from here. The other people say, if I jump, I will die now. And he calls the other people say, God knew you would die when he said you should jump. He wants to kill you. Some say, no, I hope, no, God said, and listen, I'm not joking. One of the problems we have in life is that we tie reward to every obedience. And that's why we're having problems. Yeah, what, what, was, what I said? Everything we want, we are doing, we want to see what it will produce. So if I jump, if I want to have it clear, I will not break a leg. I will not die. I will build a house. I will have a, I will buy a car. I will marry a wife. And I will have six children. And I will have 18 grandchildren, or oh, sorry, 21 grandchildren. And I will live to the age of 105. God, is that clear? God says yes, then I jump. That is the problem we have. But many times we say to that, to that to God, he doesn't say anything. I said jump. What is there for me? What's your business? It's one of two things. One of three things. You jump and die. You jump, you wound, you survive. You jump, you don't wound, you survive. Are you getting my point? It's one of the three. Which one are you giving me? None of my business. Just jump. The person of faith says God can be trusted. He knows what he's doing. What's his plan for my jumping? He hasn't explained it, but he said jump. Now, let's do, we'll find out later. Do you get what I'm trying to say? I use that drastic example. Like somebody said once, I, I heard that teaching since then. I, I, mean, I was so excited by it. The lady was teaching people that why do Christians think that when they do what is right, they will be, they will be, they will be blessed for it? When I say blessed now, you're always blessed, amen, for do what is right. What I mean is that, for example, they say give a bribe to get the contract. You don't give the bribe. You expect you will still get it. You just think that God, because it's because of you, I must get it. But the testimony wants is that I refuse to give a bribe and I still got the job. Amen. We don't realize that it is possible to refuse to give the bribe and do what? Get nothing. You can tell the truth and go to prison. 
lying will have kept you out. But telling the truth, we, unconsciously, people have been taught, and sometimes even deliberately. The example I like to use for that is this. They tell a woman, when they are teaching marriage matters, if you want something for your husband, you do this, you do this, and do that. I said that is witchcraft. What did I call it? I like to digress once in a while. You know this marriage matter, did they excite you for what you get any? Richard Pastor. <laughs> they get excited. If you're, if you're trying to persuade, how many minutes can I spend on it? This man of God said five. One woman there said ten. <laughs> I know. Let's go with the man of God, alright? Five. Women, just listen to this. Not women, everybody. Alright? Because even Christians, we, that is, even men, but all of us Christians, man and woman now, we all do that with God. It's very bad. Submission is not the way by which you get your will. Submission is not the method of getting your will done. Either with your husband as a woman, or with God as children of God. It is not when I submit, my husband will now do what I want. Respecting your husband is not a way of getting what you want. You and the children, you have a plan to go for a holiday somewhere. Maybe you are going to Tahiti. Your husband has the money. If he approves, you people can go. But you know he will not approve. So that week, all of you have a plan. The children are so nice in the morning. Do their work on time. The woman is just agreeable. Before you talk, ah, you know, suddenly, John is now nine. You understand my point? <laughs> he was John all this while. This week, he's daddy. <laughs> You've been calling him by his, like, by his first name, like as if he's your, you know, that boy in your office. This week, suddenly, you realize they say, there are more respectful ways to talk. And you are warming up for Saturday evening when you will now finally bring out the proposal. Let me give it to you straight. You are a witch. What did I call you? Witch. Yaja. Kovu master. Or Nakovu mistress. You know why? It's pure manipulation. Christians also try to manipulate God. It's not allowed. You fast to manipulate God. It's witchcraft fasting. Nobody will eat to why so that God can agree. This is how God will be looking at everybody. Submission is submission. Let me tell you where submission is. Submission is not how to get peace in the house. It's not. Submission is not how to get your way. Submission is laying down your will. If you are not willing to lay down that will, you have not submitted. Submission is to go to the man and say, what do you think of my, me and the children going for a holiday in Tahiti? I think we should go. And the man said, let me think about it. Do you have, do you have reasons to help me think? You lay down your reasons. He said, give me to you tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning, he says, no, nobody's going to Tahiti. And he was saying that, this man is so difficult. Say, the will of God has been expressed. No Tahiti. You now go to the children, not to go and say, hey, what do we do next? No. It is, Children, 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 the prophet has spoken. 
An offering has been offered. And the prophet offered it to God. And the Lord spoke to the prophet. And he said, we are not going to Tahiti. Tahiti is not the will of God. You know what is submission? To convince yourself of what I have just said. If you have, if you keep, listen, mama witches always have their way. And the witchiest of them, they never argue. You manipulate, you know. They go, they go from corner, corner, you know, passy, passy, yonder, yonder, you know, fella. <laughs> Just they go gradually, gradually. After a while, you, you wear the man out. Okay, okay, Tahiti, everybody go. Let there be peace in the universe. Which? What did I say? Which? The Lord is good. Have I taken more than five minutes? <laughs> As Christian, children of God, we submit to God by laying down our will. It is nevertheless not my desire, but yours be done. That's the meaning of submission. Please, I hope you're getting my point here. Now that I get into that, now I'm just in a digression. What was I saying? Oh, no, God. What was I saying? You can't remember. You two, you are now confused like me. <laughs> anyway, I'll go back to the beginning again, alright? I'll eventually get. Anyway, so. The point I'm trying to make is this. What excites God is that we trust him. What excites God is that what he says he wants to do, we let him do it in our lives. That is what excites him. When Abraham gave to God, we look at that size of the offering. It is not the offering God was looking at. It was the heart that trusted him so much. The offering was given because of trust. That even though everything hangs on this boy, God would raise him from the dead so that his word will not be fulfilled. Because he said, in Isaac will your seed be. I was trying to explain. So one wants to obey God. We also obey God. Not because we have tied something to it. That's what I'm trying to explain. Giving, like I keep on saying, is good. Does it produce results? That's not the reason why we give. It does produce results, in quotes. But we never do it for what it produces. I found out what God is doing in our life is to bring us to a point where whether he gives us back or not, we don't care. At, that, at such times, he starts giving back and we don't even consider it a testimony. If anybody is coming to tell you, ah, I gave 10,000. Within one month, I already had 100,000. And he's bragging. Just know he's still a baby. Still a baby Christian. If it really happens like that, it should be an illustration. I explained to somebody, look, there's no need to worry. The other day I gave 10,000. I think that was the last I had. You know, before the end of the week, God had supplied another 50,000. And you're not doing like, see, my seed work. No, it's more like people don't worry. Don't worry. You're just trying to encourage people. You are giving examples of God's faithfulness. Let me tell you the kind of people that God blesses. It gets to a point. The blessing doesn't move them. That's what Paul said. Go ahead, Philippians chapter 4. He said, I see that you've sent me a lot of stuff. He said, that is good. I'm happy. He said, no, not for myself. Because before you brought it, and after you brought it, I was the same. He said, but I'm happy because you are behaving like real Christians. You have kindled your love for me again. He said, there will be reward to your account. So that excites me. Somebody was saying, you see, I was watching one man talk. <laughs> I'll tell you something as the man said, that was very, very interesting. <laughs> I'll tell you later. <laughs> that, that, that's men of God. Gist. No, they are Jesus for men of God. The, the people that God will punish double when they talk nonsense. <laughs> oh, no, no, I don't mean that they are important. I mean that the people who are at risk. <laughs> so it's not good for you to hear bad things. All right, the Lord is good. <laughs> Nobody was saying that, you see? Paul was excited. He knew that credit would come to the account. Look at that word. Credit. 
Credit to the account. Amen. And I'm, I, I wanted to tap, I was watching on TV. I wanted to tap them and say, bros, did you notice I didn't preach it to them? They gave it first. Why? If he had preached that credit to them first, he would reduce the amount of credit they would have. But because it came out of their heart of love, spontaneously, it was complete. Many of us want to motivate Christians to do right because of the reward. We get little for it. Those who are blessed, most of them don't even know when, when they say, you did this, because I'm blessing you for this thing you have done. They are trying to remember, when was that? Is in the Bible? Yes. I was hungry. You gave me to eat. What did they say? When? They were like, ah. Sweetheart, when, when did you, did the Lord came to our house? That time we were eating food. He said he was there. Eh? He, did you give him a special plate? <laughs> but that day that he came, he was just one of the guests. In fact, he was a gate man next door. Just by the way, just by the way, just by the way. Jesus said, many of us may have forgotten. Once you are doing party on your street, you must, you must invite all the gate men. It's in the Bible like that, though. You must invite all the gate men, the gardeners on your street. If you go to that compound and invite the owner of the house alone, you're a sinner. Say, so what if they can't leave their duty post? There's no problem. Take away. You will cut their portion of the cake. Take the drinks in pet bottles. They are takeaway packs and send it to them. I'm, I'm describing how your destiny will be secure. <laughs> most, you know, most of us overlook these things. You go to your neighbor's knock. I go after sir, you know, we are doing our anniversary next. We just want to invite you. Then the, the gate man open the gate. You go, bye-bye. And you don't tell him. Because they look at wicked soul. Wicked soul. I'm telling you now, you must invite those gate men, the gardeners, anybody around. If anybody is passing that day, is shining shoes and walking past, and the party is on, do you follow? Tell him, are you in a hurry? If he says no, someone sit down. I am not joking what I'm saying. No. You see smile for my face? That's just by the way. No, we're just dropping things here and there. Jesus commands that. So that is the one he will reward. Fellow party organizers like you, there's no reward. If that's, if these are the only people you invite. So, back to what I was saying. I went into that time to just say that most times we do things, we don't even realize the importance of it. The ones we do deliberately. Let me sow this seed for a harvest. I'm sure you are tired of wasting money. What have you harvested? Forget all this. What did you have? What did you have? What did you have? So I wrote it down. I said, ah, hey, pastor, it works. So when? You know, in 2015, since 2015, till now, only one result. If every time you plant corn, it's five years later, you have a story to tell me. What does that tell you? The corn is not working. <laughs> no, leave that thing. God will have done it for you, even if you didn't plant that seed. He will have done it for you. He will have done it for you. I'm telling you. The things that he rewards, don't even know why he did them. The man just stopped me by the roadside. Say, please, sir. I know I don't look like a beggar, but I'm really very hungry. I know these days people can lie. You know that? Yes. So you look at him and say, well, maybe you are lying. I don't know. But just in case you are not lying, take 500 naira, go and eat. And he says to you, 
God bless you, sir. And you know what? You will not remember it after two days. Sometimes that's an angel. Sometimes that is Jesus Christ himself. Jokes apart. Then you, you did that, and then you entered into church. Somebody now tells you, hmm, I feel an anointing here. I feel an anointing in this place. It's getting into your home right now. And if you want to key into that anointing, you will do something dangerous. You will, there's one I hear that, you will clear your <laughs> The more you clear, the more heaven will clear. <laughs> don't you and Gavana, don't be impressed. Give what you want to give. Don't let anybody deceive you. That one that you are doing, the anointing didn't come to collect your money. So after that week, you will now see one breakthrough. You now say, that anointing was great. No, it was that offering at the gate. Which you thought nothing of. Which you did sincerely from your heart when there was no anointing. But of course you won't remember. He himself does not know how. You will have forgotten. Let me see my message, please. I'm just trying to sit on it. So what does God want? He wants people who rely on his promises. It excites him. If he says, do not take any thought for the morrow. You don't take any thought for the morrow. You don't worry about tomorrow. They say, dollar has crept up to, I don't know how much Naira now. Whatever it is. As they are telling you, you clean the information from your ear. Say, sufficient auto the day is evil thereof. We are not even thinking about these things. God is thinking about it. Why should two of us be worrying about things that have no control over? And you make that statement matter of factly. You're just matter of factly that you're not being careless. I said something. There's a similarity between, in, in outward appearance, the fellow who's walking by faith and the fellow who's careless generally, they look the same. When you're talking about, let's worry about tomorrow now. They sound the same. There's, there are some guys who just say, I beg, do that thing. They don't have the capacity to think. The thoughts overwhelm them. But there are those who, they have the capacity to think, but faith says don't. Faith says don't bother. The two of them will do the same thing. Concerning tomorrow. The difference, however, how do you know the difference? Is what each person is doing concerning today. The fellow of faith, check him at his work. Very good. Very diligent. Very reliable. The one that's generally careless is not worried about tomorrow. He is also no, is not serious about today. That one is an unbelieving person. The fellow of faith, the word faith and faithfulness, they are very, they are the same word actually in the Greek. So the fellow who's of faith is faithful today. What am I saying? That's the person that impresses God. They are not worried. They are not concerned about tomorrow because God says, don't be. When they say kill Isaac, Abraham said, it's alright. Why? God must be willing to raise him up from the dead because his word will never fail. God said, because of this thing you have done, in blessing, I will bless you. I will make your name great. He began to bless him. Why? Because he trusts in God. So we began by saying, all God's provisions are where? In his promises. So you take the provisions, uh, the promises of God and look inside them. 
You look into the promises of God, you will discover the provisions he has made, and then you build your life on those things. So we're looking at different ones. I just want to just charge us with that one briefly. We saw that his promises concerning um, productivity, prosperity. We saw his promises concerning different things. And this is the last one we began to look at last time I was here. I missed the last two weeks meeting. So last time, now let's not continue our series. That was just a small uh, exhortation. God's provisions are where? In his promises. So a good child of God pays attention to the promises, builds his or her life on those promises. Now what I want to talk about today, as I was just trying to put my thoughts together just before coming up, is phrase dropped in my mind and I said, wait, maybe that's what we're supposed to talk about. We are talking about divine protection. We began that last time. And I remember I told us, let's remember to consider testimonies, to test stories that amplify spiritual things. Stories of divine uh, um, deliverance, stories of uh, God rescuing his people. And I want to, I want to continue in that line today, turn, reading scriptures, and then we'll take declarations from, um, different portions of the Bible. But before that, I want to just talk about the fact that chance is not God. What did I say? Say that loud again. What do I mean by chance is not God? Many times you hear God say, I'm God and there's none other. Do you understand? One of the things I think Christians must learn is that thing I've said. Chance is not God. What I'm going to say is that, You are not blessed by chance. You did not escape that car accident by chance. The fellow who died in it did not die by chance. You need to bear that in mind. When if maybe a car narrowly misses you and you do not, I mean, you were not injured. Maybe you were almost knocked down, but you were not. And that happened to me several times in this my life. I can remember three distinctly. Three distinctly. For the first one will have killed me. I remember I was very young. I ran into the path of a moving bus. It was speeding. We just finished our entire house bus in my secondary school. And I was returning home. You know the way it is, the excitement everywhere. And there was so much traffic. And the buses were doing brisk business, you know. So this guy got a full load and was rushing to go and drop the people. And as soon as I got home, I came down from another bus without looking. I was small. I mean, I was, I don't think that time I was more than 12, 13 maximum. 13, yes. I think about 12, 13, but no more than 13. Without looking, I crossed the road. Why? Because my, the, the, the neighborhood people, you know, kind of, you know, there was so much excitement around. So people were just, so I was eager to get home. So I looked up, so I saw some of my friends, you know, like waiting for me to come back. So looking at them, excitement to go and talk to them. I just came down from the bus and dashed across the road. I didn't break a stride. The bus coming, Hey, the guy just went, Phew! Now, listen to me. I was moving so fast, and he was moving so fast, I still did not stop. I don't know whether you're getting my point. By the time it passed in front of me, I was almost running, that is, I was less than, literally, literally, less than a quarter of a second from the front of the bus. Not up to a quarter of it. No, I was running. The guy just went, Phew! The other people were watching from upstairs. They shouted, Ah! What is pursuing you? What is pursuing you? But my mom was downstairs. And she couldn't see above the fence. Do you understand my point? So I was in there, shut up, shut up, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) We had a neighbor at that time, a small girl, small girl. She was eating. She didn't finish her food because she was going for school, the lesson in school, you know, afternoon lessons or a practice in church or something like that. Little girl, little girl. 
That same sec- section of the road, somewhere around there. She ran the house, left her food unfinished, and the boss knocked her down and killed her. We lived in the same compound. She died, though. I know people, personal people, my cousin, one day my auntie got a chieftaincy title, everybody was celebrating. They were eating and drinking and feeling happy. My auntie's driver took my auntie's pickup vehicle. Her son jumped to the back of the vehicle. The guy hit his speed brake, flung the guy onto the road, hit his head on the road, and died. Amen. You know many things like that. But you know that over time? Not one of them is a game of chance. In these two stories I told you, we don't have all the time to be going into details about stories. In both of them, somebody was warned ahead. In both of them, somebody was warned ahead. That somebody's going to die. And both deaths were accidents. I said, chance is not God. That's what I'm trying to emphasize to us. So you stop thinking your life is a game of chance. You're not alive today because statistics have not caught up with you. You understand what I'm saying? They said, um, have you heard this before? Life expectancy in Nigeria is, is it 57 or 49 or? 47. And you are 46, so you should die next year. You know that kind of nonsense thinking? Yes, it's true. What you don't know is that what they call life expectancy is just an average of the age at which everybody, those who have died, died. The different ages. So the child that died at the age of six months is part of it. The man that died at the age of 105 is part of it. I hope you are getting my point. The people that kill themselves fighting, you know, street cults, they record them too. The people that go and become armed robbers and police shoot them in the process is recorded. Those who are doing jumping, uh, bungee jumping and rope cut, they hit their head, is recorded. If you decide to be fishing for crocodiles and crocodiles catch you, <laughs> they record it too. What I, what I'm trying to say. So all the people that were bombed or killed in the northeast because of the crisis of Boko Haram, they are all recorded. The average is found and they call it life expectancy. But the word has been so, you know, coined to create confusion. So the, by the time you are 45, they say you, in your mind, you have two more years that to go. No. You should understand that when they spread it out, the details of the statistics, some people were 95. <laughs> you know? It's interesting. My mother is 81, and she has two elder sisters, all who are alive and well. So I used to think that the age gap between them was like two, two years. Say no. Which kind of two years? That is four, four years. Life expectancy. You know, Pastor Corey's mother turned 80 last week. Uh, Pastor Corey said that if you leave that woman alone, she, dri- she will drive from Benin to Saple. She doesn't have any problem. Dress herself around town. So let nobody come and convince you, life expectancy is 47. Tell them that is average date of death. Don't, the average age, it's not life expectancy. It's people like us, if you, look, tell them simply, I'm going to die at the age of 103. If Jesus does not come before then. Your life expectancy is not being calculated. You are not a, you are not a statistical figure. You are not a, a chance person. I said I like stories, right? I, I don't forget the DOST story. I like to tell you once in a while. At the age of 48, 
She was diagnosed as having terminal cancer. She would die. Her husband laid on the floor and begged God. And the story was told when she was 84. Because she was what? 48. When the numbers switched, I read the story. Doctor said she would die. She had less than six months to live. Her husband said, no, now. Ah, uh-uh, ah, about God. Don't do me like this. I'm begging you for my wife. And I don't know whether she's still alive. That's a Joel Austin's mother. But at least I read the story a few years ago when she turned 84. Life is not a game of chance. That thing just in my head, I see that's what I should tell people today. Even when it appears like chance, even when it appears like chance, he was crossing the road, he didn't look. It's not a game of chance. Even when it appears like chance, chance doesn't kill people. Death kills people. The things that happened to Job, in fact, we all know the story, so we'll not read many of them. The things that happened to Job, we remember that they look like natural things. Let's look at them one by one. One day they were in the field, and then cattle rustlers came, attacked his cattle and his sheep, killed all the, the workers, collected all the animals, the camels, the sheep. They came, you know, they were a band of criminals. They killed all of them minus one. And they left that one to go and tell the story. They didn't try to leave him. It's not as if, okay, have you seen the bad we have done? You go and tell the story. No. He escaped. It looked like a game of chance, but he escaped because he was supposed to go and tell the story. He got there, told Job, ha, we're just there walking. These people attacked. At that same time, another fellow was there telling his own story. Who came first? Self? I think that was the other guy. And that one came. The Job's children were having a party. It was somebody's birthday. All of them gathered. And they were, hey, God is good. Hallelujah. Then they began to rain. And a horrible wind came from somewhere. Knocked down the building. The night as the architect, they were telling the architect that I put three pillars. So he said two is good enough. The building came down, crushed all of them, all the children, all the servants working with them. And one of them just went out to go and collect something when the building came down. He was the only one that escaped. Looks like a natural disaster. The first one was enemy attack, right? This one, natural disaster. They now ran to Job, told Job everything. And what did Job say? The Lord gave, the Lord has taken. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, this is what I want to explain. I told the story like that for us to know that bad things happen. But let's now go behind into the accounts that God revealed to people like Moses so they were able to write it for us. We now know that none of those things happened by chance. Before that, there was discussion in heaven. God sat on his judgment throne one day and people were coming, angels were coming, sons of God were coming and Satan came in the midst of them. And God brought up the idea, have you considered my servant Job? And they had a discussion with the person of Job. And God said, all right, good. I have given you everything he has. I've put those things into your hand, but you can't touch him. So Sam said, no problem. So everything that appeared like a game of chance were actually finally planned, well orchestrated from heaven. Now, let, let's go back for a moment. Before that day, what was the situation? Were the Sabians not there raiding other people? They were. Could they raid, raid, raid Job? No. Why did they not raid, raid Job? I'll tell you. Because the raids are spiritually controlled. And the controlling forces 
each time they want to push them in that direction, many things will happen. They've tried before, people died. Then maybe there was, there was this um, neighboring um, king that loved Job so much, so it had the soldiers patrol around the property of Job. Then one day, those soldiers did not get up on time because they've been patrolling around the property of Job for the last eight years, and there has never been an incident. Are you getting my point? So what did they do? They, they became relaxed. And then somebody went and told them that those soldiers are not coming out today. You know, today, their guy has been made a general. They've gone for a party. Let's raid. It appears like chance. Why were they not able to raid before? Because God, spiritually speaking, surrounded him with what? A hedge roundabout. Physically, it manifested in different ways. Maybe the terrain was difficult for them. They couldn't come. Maybe some people were guarding him. Maybe he had a good security system around him. We don't know. But one thing that they could not attack. And the children were safe, not because there were no natural disasters, but because the father had told them, it appears like, don't go out this season of the year, it is tight. Things is risky. So they're at home. They had personal bodyguards, it will appear like. But the real reason why they were safe was because God kept what? A hedge around them. So if something happens that appears like the hedge has been broken, let us stop focusing on the thing that happened. Let's stop looking at where, what happened to the hedge. Why was the hedge broken? That's how we walk by faith. We focus on the spiritual. By faith, we understand. Life is not a game of chance. That's why I say chance is not God. The day God said to Satan, everything he has, I'll put in your hands. All of a sudden, things cooperated for him to lose everything in one day. He was surviving it. Then one day, Satan came again and said, oh, it's because he's still healthy. God said, I put his flesh in your hands, but you can't touch his life. Let me tell you how doctors interpret it. They would tie what he's going through now to the trauma that he had last month. They say it started as a post-traumatic stress disorder leading to anorexia and then malnutrition, which weakened his zinc level, his ability to convert one enzyme to one story story, then, at that time, his immunity, which was not too strong because of his age, weakened. Then this bacteria now attacked him, and bec- the, the story will be long. All of it connected to the trauma he suffered. I will write a publication on it. Somebody will become a professor on it. When in reality, do you know what happened? God issued a decree. Somebody say, chance is not God. So God will say to us once in a while, I am God and there is none other. Please, I'm begging Christians. Walk on your faith till you can live so conscious of the presence of God in your life. So that if you miss, and it's happened to me once, we're in poverty, you know, young residents. Every time there's opportunity to make money, I will be missing. I remember one day I went to church, no? This kind of thing that you'll be like God. Be like, God, you are not being fair to me. I went on leave to a church to go and walk. You know, if I went to on leave to go and relax, it's different. I used to take my leave to go to work in a church. You know, preach and all of that. Then while I was gone, some, one of our senior colleagues came, recruited all the people there to travel to Niger Delta to go and verify damages and some claims and everything. And what we used to earn in one month, pay them in one weekend. More than that, self. I think it was more than that. They were all gone for like a week. By the time they came back, eh? 
My boys were picking their teeth. Ah, thank you. How now? I like. And it was the time I went to go and walk in church. So I like, oh, wait, 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 wait. No, no, no. I remember that day. I still remember very well. I remember very well. Very, very well. How I collapsed in a chair. I was devastated. I was depressed. I, and I just came back like on Monday. Say, hey, guys, what's been happening? And I was on leave. Say, ah, Banky, hey. You missed, though. What did I miss? Man, they paid those boys money. Maybe the kind of thing will end in two months. These guys were gone for a week and they ended. And I came, I sat. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. You're like, Jesus, don't you know that song? <laughs> You're laughing. It wasn't funny that time. I look like, why is it that all the good, good things you are doing for people financially? You don't know what <laughs> I didn't know that God sent me on leave so I won't be able to go. There are times God will just say, you won't have money. Sit down there. <laughs> You'll be confessing I receive. He said, God say yes, I know you receive. Later. Yeah, look, you have to know how to, instead of believing God for money, believe God for ability to endure. People don't know that thing. You want to claim the kind of faith Paul and Cody didn't have. Paul said, I have learned how to endure poverty. I learned to endure, to enjoy abundance. Whether it is small or plenty, we tap grace. He said, I can do both of them through Christ who strengthens me. When we quote that scripture, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We always take on the other side. I can do all things means I can endure adversity. I mean, a certain amount of money. Then inflation starts because of COVID. You know, this COVID did a lot of things. God spared us from die, die, die plenty, but the financial side there, eh, you would, when you, <laughs> I was talking to the welder the other day, he was supposed to do some work for me. He said, oh God, I need to come and quote again, you know, that quotation I gave you for you that time, it, 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 it can't work again. He said, the thing he used to buy for 3,005 is now 6,009. If it's before, I'll say, hey, why didn't I just do it that time, oh? me? I don't move now. I say, okay, just give me your new quotes. Let's see. If I have the money, I will pay. I forget it. That's just where I am. God has taught me that over time. What am I going to say? So you're earning money. Inflation suddenly drives everything upside down. That was what Paul meant when he said, I can do all things. So you look at your money, stagnant inflation up like that. You, you are forbidding as a child of God from complaining. What you just do is say, I can do all things. I can bear this inflation. I can cope with it. I can overcome it. It will not kill me. You'll be amazed if you do like that. You'll be amazed at what God can do for you. Sometimes it will not change that money you're earning. But you, suddenly the money will be achieving more than it was achieving before. I was watching one man. Was he on? Yes. I think it was on YouTube. Giving his testimony a full gospel. How some changes in import regulations or forex availability made him in a business he believed that God led him into. When they went to pray, and the Spirit just said to him, why can't you manufacture this thing locally? It wasn't being done. He said it was a particular chemical. They couldn't process it maybe beyond like 5% concentration. But those guys used to, the, the people used to supply oil companies and big companies used to buy at 20% concentration. So they had to import. He said, but there was a problem with importation. That he was not a, a, a chemist, but he sat at home and God gave him the idea on how they could locally increase the concentration from 5 to 20%. So before he knew what was happening, he had factories open. 
the chemists working with him, the chemical engineers were like, no, a guy can't be done. He said, I said, it can't be done. Why can't you people do it? He explained it to them. By the time they watched, they saw it, they realized that his, his, his solution was right. Something they had overlooked for years. Crisis made him produce it. So even when the uh, importation thing cleared up, there was no need. He was manufacturing locally. When Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that's what he was saying. Well, we tend to look at it like say, I can do all things. Amen. I can make a million. Amen. I can go abroad. Amen. I can build a house. Amen. No. It means even if I don't build one, I can live comfortably in a shack and not sweat. Amen. Say amen. Huh? Amen. Chance is not God. That's what I'm trying to explain. Chance is not God. Look at life like that. It's so important you understand it. What happened to Job? Everything that happened to Job, they were predetermined. That's what I'm going to emphasize. So we believers must bear that in mind. When we are making decisions in life, just put it in mind, first of all, chance is not God. My emphasis this time around is that accidents are not, go- uh, they are not by chance. Death is not by chance. Deliverance is not by chance. Deliverance is not by chance. I want you to bear it in mind. If God delivers you, you are delivered. Even if you are in the deepest dungeon, locked up from here to there, there are different ways he delivers. The guards will be sleeping. An angel will take the keys, open the doors, and tell a man, come out. You know, he did that twice. He did it with um, Peter. Then he did it to the whole disciples when they were locked up somewhere. Those guys were still, listen, those guys, they they were like, no guy. No guy. Nobody's passing here. All correct. Where are the prisoners? They are inside. Nobody say, where did he say they are? They are inside. Then those people preaching in front of the temple, who are they? So they went and looked inside. There was nobody inside. <laughs> How they passed there? Those, because the gates were still locked. In Peter's case, the gate was open. Everybody slept off, maybe. The angel opened, you know, when the angel wants to make you sleep, in fact, they knock you unconscious. <laughs> Two days, thank you. <laughs> They will be waking you up. Wake up. Say, I'm just sleeping. <laughs> Peter was gone. In, in um, um, Paul's case, Paul and Silas, the whole place shook. They made sure, the angels made sure everybody knew what was going on. The whole place shook. But it was not a normal earthquake. Normal earthquakes don't lose in shackles. What did concern earthquake concern handcuff? Okay, break the door, break the wall, create cracks in the wall we can pass through. That's a normal earthquake. But the one that we're losing shackles is, you know, they, they are, some angels are very nice angels. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Some angels, they don't know how to do things normally. They say, remove the shackle, they will knock the door down. The shackle, they send them to remove. That guy that was supposed to remove shackle that day, he had the key for shackles. But he doesn't know how to walk, JJ. Boom. Boom. As it's coming, they say it's earthquake. It wasn't earthquake. <laughs> it was an angel stomp, stomping recklessly. They say, go and remove the shackle. He said, must we do it quietly? The, the Lord said, no. He said, so we can do it noisily. <laughs> well, I said, no problem. He and his friends came. Hey, shackle, shackle. Hey, shackle's coming. <laughs> that was one way of releasing people. But Paul and Cole looked and said, Kai, if we go, this man will die. Tell everybody, relax, relax, relax. What happened? The man gave his life to Christ. The whole household, they were saved. And next day, they said, Peter, uh, Peter, uh, sorry, Paul and Cole, come and go. 
They said, Nalai, you will, rep- the way you, are, you know, they had to beg them to go. Was it not released? They were still released. None of this is a game of chance. Let me tell you something about Paul. Paul was supposed to, when Paul came to Jerusalem, I don't want to discuss whether he should have gone or shouldn't have gone. I know a man who said he should not have gone. And that all the warnings they gave him was to show him that God did not want him to go. But zeal made him go. But whatever it is, God said straight, you are not going to die there. You are going to go and bear witness in Rome. Now let me tell you how it happened. Paul went to the temple. Somebody spotted him. The fellow who spotted him shouted, look at them, they've come here. The crowd grabbed him. The soldiers noticed. The, crowd, the soldiers came to rescue him. Paul requested to be allowed to speak. He was allowed to speak. He began to talk and talk and talk, make a long story short. When he said that God went to go to the Gentiles, they said, kill him. When he was speaking in their language, they were happy that he's one of them. When he said, God said, I should go to the Gentiles, they said, kill him. The soldiers took him. They, they needed a battalion of soldiers or a company of soldiers to get him out of the crowd. Some people went and, you know, um, they took an oath that they would not eat or drink until they've killed Saul, Paul. His nephew heard, went and told the soldiers. Those ones said, sent a company of soldiers to come and take him away. Now, what am I going to say? All of this will just appear like no chance, or call, you know. But the reason was that God had decreed that the man would not die there. He didn't float out of the place like, hey, watch me. This is a Superman. <laughs> no. Soldiers came to collect him. They guarded him. They doubled the guards. Take this man from here. Take him somewhere else. They doubled the guards. It was God walking. I hope you're getting my point here. So if, listen to me, if he had died along the way, it wouldn't have been a game of chance. It would have been that God said, okay, it is time. This same God just chose for whatever reason not to rescue Stephen. That's it. My persuasion, I'm not saying 100% right. My persuasion is that God needed Stephen as a seed. That's what I just think. So he said, Stephen, come. So he took Stephen away. They shed his blood as a seed. So how would, it, how would that seed multiply into Paul and other people that will work with him, especially amongst the Gentiles? That's what I think. Do you know that John the Baptist, I'm talking about chance, John the Baptist died at the right time. People said that, no, God did not know. There were certain things John did not understand, which if he understood, would not have died. You know the reason why you talk like that? You think the greatest achievement in life is to be Dangote. This earth, and you are so earthly minded, you don't want to die. So if anybody dies, you are like, ha, he didn't have revelation. Let me tell you, as a child of God, eh? there is nothing you are doing on this earth more than the work of God. Did you hear what I said? Yes, sir. You're only on this earth while you are useful for what God is doing. This is not our home. See these fine, fine houses we have? They are our temporal places of abode. It's like your company sends you somewhere. You work for your company. They say, okay, go to Abuja, go and work. They put you in a hotel. It's not your house. You can only stay in that hotel as long as you are working. As soon as that assignment is over, what happens? You check out and you come back to base. Our base is with the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you're getting my point. Back to the story of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a what? Forerunner. Remember that? 
And his ministry and that of Jesus was not supposed to, were not supposed to run side by side. It was to be a forerunner. When he gets there, Jesus takes over. His job was to announce, the greatest of the prophets he was called. But what was he supposed to do? Prepare people for the Lord and announce who the Lord will be. He did that. What happened to him after? He appeared like political, no political matters. He preached against the governor. The governor had him, <laughs> that, well, the uh, Herod. He preached against Herod. Herod had him arrested. But the timing of the arrest, go and check it. The Bible says that Jesus sat down there and was watching. He was recruiting disciples, but he did not preach. He did not baptize. Peter and Co. were baptized. They had moved over. They had moved to the new ministry. Do you understand? Yes. They left one ministry, moved to the new one. And just for information, somebody move on, leave one ministry to the other. Don't kill somebody for it. Yes, that's what happened. And you know what? It was the same ministry where Jesus was baptized. Yes. John, John the Baptist, International Ministries, baptized Jesus Christ. And as soon as Jesus was living, the, mo- the archbishops, the de- head deacons followed. <laughs> they came to John and said, the man you baptized is gathering more disciples than you now. He said, a man can receive not- nothing except it be given to him from above. His core, core disciples left once he identified Jesus for them. But let's not talk about that one in details now. But once he heard that John had been taken into custody, Read your Bible. You know what happened? Immediately he began to preach. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He did not do that while John was still preaching. He did not. He waited for John to be taken into cop study. Why? The ministry of John needed to end before his own would begin. So the timing of his arrest was not a game of chance. You know why they beheaded John? God said, it is, it is finished. You know, some of us, we think that God doesn't like who being, being, being killed like that. No, did, just make sure your death glorifies God. That's all. John was beheaded simply because the Lord said it is finished. There was nothing else he was doing on the earth. He was young, in his early 30s. You know, he and Jesus were about the same age. Remember that? Yeah. Six months apart. He was born first. His death was not a game of chance. I feel like preaching this evening on saying that what? Chance is not God. Chance is not God. What did I say? Chance is not God. Chance did not kill John. Another thing I should say, man is not God. Herod was not God. You know who killed John? Was God. Herod was an instrument. You know, Pilate came and was, was raising his shoulder for the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know how the power to you know, I'm just imagining Jesus laughing. <laughs> you just look, oh foolish Galatian. Who lied to you? He said, do you know I have the power to release you or to condemn you? Jesus looked like, what? Now let me just imagine what's going on inside his soul. What? You don't have the power to release me. You think you do. The only power you have right now is the power of condemnation. Why? This, for this reason I came to this hour. The power to release me I tackled that in the garden. I came to the father and I said to him, Father, if it is possible, let this call pass over me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Pilate, you can only do the will of God. So the concept of have the power to release or to condemn you, Jesus said, forget that thing. But on the surface, he said to him that, 
Look, oh boy, that power is only granted from above. But he knew more than Pilate knew that there was no chance of his being released. You know that? He was setting to the cross we are going. When they came to arrest him, what did he say to Peter? If the father gives us a cup, are we not going to drink it? Peter said, this cup is bitter. He said, don't worry, you just run. I will drink it all by myself. I knew before that I would drink it all alone. I hope you're getting my point. The Romans were not God. They were not the ones responsible for condemning Jesus Christ. They were instruments. So even if an armed robber killed somebody, he's not God. Even somebody died by chance, apparently, in the hands of a kidnapper, is not a game of chance. Death is not in anybody's hands. It's in the hands of God. Oh, by the way, it's not even the hands of the devil. The devil has to come to collect permission each time. God has to grant it to him. Please, I hope you are getting the point I'm making here. That's just what came to my mind this to explain to people. When we're talking about divine protection, you think that it's your barbed wire. It's not your barbed wire. We live with one brother those days when we first came to Enugu in Transekulu. We were living upstairs, we were living downstairs. <laughs> that guy was very funny. The house had you know, burglar proof, you know, that kind of thing. He won't lock it. I said, buy a padlock and lock this thing now. He said, huh. said, my brother, that any tip that, you know what they call the flush, don't they call flush door? Flywood door. There's quarter inch plywood, quarter inch plywood behind. The kind, kind that if you run into the door, <laughs> the door will give way. That was what was in front of the house. The burglar proof that was behind it, all you had to do was lock that door, turn that one, lock it, then pass the bank and Chain all the chainables. The guy will just pass through the front door. Turn the normal, you know union key? You know union? Not this one, it's the union key of those days. The one that if you are missing your key, just know the number. You go to the market and say, my own is M22H. You know, do you remember? Oh, people, some people don't know the union key. Union key had a narrow range. So what you just, you don't need to make copies. They don't, you don't make copies. You cram the number. So when you go to the market, I say, please, my number, my key is missing. I want to buy a new one. Say, so what is the number? There's M25H. They will look at it. Don't worry, it will open it. You don't need to test it. Just pay there to open it. That was what the guy just done. So one day I said, oh boy, lock this thing now. He said, there's no need. Is there anything that can open this one? Then he has tried. Let him collect what he wants to collect. <laughs> now nah, I keep quiet though. So he told me the reason why. He said he lost faith in security because of his father's friend. He said that his father has a friend in Lagos. He said the man has everything. Barbed wire day. Electrified, you know, wire day. Gate, eh? The one that they used to block CBN, CBN vaults a day. He said everything. CCTV. He said the day arm robbers came to his house, he said they waited for him outside. They entered his car. Then they drove in together. <laughs> he said, since that day, he, he said, God, if God will not protect me, leave it. When a man talks to you like that, you know, I was reading the book of Ruth this morning. He said, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined, he left <laughs> Ruth alone. When I saw this brother has made up his mind, I left him alone. And of course, till he left the house, nothing terrible happened. 
Nothing. Now, it sounds like uh, the man wasn't, you see, he just said, all flesh is grass. If God Lord doesn't protect you, you are not protected. What am I preaching today? The Lord is protecting you. And I want you to recognize that. If you live behind the security fence and nobody can jump across it, don't think it's a fence. Don't go around meeting your friends and say, ah, if this is the kind of fence, look, that's still, eh, the steel, eh? the steel, nothing can cut it. We have tried it before. My friend is selling it. It's, it's 200,000 naira per square meter. If you buy that kind of thing, eh, the day you install it, God will make sure they, they boggle your house. And you won't know where the thief came from. In fact, they will come through the roof. They use a drone, land on top of your roof. <laughs> ah, you know, there's an amount of money you will spend. God will say your trust is in flesh. Yes. No, there's a kind of money you spend for a particular level of life. God will say, hey, hey, hey this is my boy, this is my girl. Your trust is in flesh. Listen, I just feel like emphasizing it to us. Let's remember when Ahab, remember when Ahab died? How did Ahab die? Ahab went to war. They called Micaiah to prophesy. Micaiah said, I see Israel. They were like sheep. Scattered without shepherd. That one turned to Jehoshaphat. She, I told you. He never prophesied anything good about me. Zedekiah was shouting. When the good spirit leave me and go to you. Call all the people. You know, when you pay the prophet. Listen. Any prophet you pay before you prophesy does not tell the truth. If you want to hear the truth from your prophet, the mouth of a prophet, don't give an offering first. They say, what did you bring for the man of God? He, he can't, he can't tell you the truth. How can you give me an offering of five million and I will tell you that you will die? You can't die. Who will bring the next five million there? <laughs> you can't die now. So I'm going to say they, they, they use offering to provoke the anointing. You use it to confuse the anointing. I remember one joke we saw. One man came. He said, <laughs> "Let me finish laughing." <laughs> a woman brought one guy to one prophet. Say, "My friend's business is not moving well." The guy said, eh, "Okay, I want you to pray." So the guy said, "All right." <laughs> What do you bring for the man of God? Yeah, drop an envelope. Say, this is a free will offering. Prophet look at the envelope say, ah, hmm. I hope better day inside though. The man says 200,000. Eh? Say 200,000. Your market is not doing well and you brought 200,000. This market will do well. <laughs> he put the money down. He said, by virtue of the anointing upon my head, he got up, entered his closet, brought one bottle of oil. Said, this oil is fresh. I have not used it. <laughs> How many days fasting did he say he had done? Maybe 40 days on the mountain. You are the first I'll use it for. He began to pour the anointing. Is your, I command everybody in your neighborhood to need your goods and start buying. Everybody around you, are, they are flocking to you right now. Right now. He prophesied and prophesied. Ah! He said, unless I'm not the man of God. That one shouting, amen. amen. The guy that brought it said, I told you this prophet is a different one. When he finished, he said, hey, so what do you say? The guy said, I casket. <laughs> he said, what, what did he say? <laughs> he said, now casket, coffee now. He said, I hope your shop is not in this neighborhood. 
the guy said, I'm just down the road. That junction. <laughs> The guy began, he began to rub his head. He said, ha, ah, an authority has gone forth. Ah, hey, power has gone forth. <laughs> if you give a prophet offering ahead, it can be hard. It, no, it can be hard. If you are paying a prophet regularly, ah, you get as it be. I'm not saying you don't give offering to prophet, but let him finish the prophesying. Then when you are going, put the offering basket at the <laughs> They decay and go, they don't chop. They have, don't feed them fat. Say, so, hmm. uh, go, the Lord's with you. When you are, when you have eaten, well, my Lord the King, no problem. God is on your side. <laughs> the Lord is good. Of course, Micaiah told them it's not like that. They locked Micaiah up. Now, the story is about how he died. Before they went to battle, Ahab and um, Jeroboam, you no know, conferred. And they said, Jeroboam should, sorry, not Jeroboam, what's his name? Jehoshaphat, sorry. They said that Jehoshaphat should dress as a king. He have to go as a common soldier. Unfortunately for him, the other king had said that, I don't want, this fight is not about we and these other soldiers. I want just the king of Israel. So as soon as his own soldiers came, they looked only for the king there. They didn't know Jehoshaphat was there. So the only king they saw was who? Jehoshaphat. So they pursued after Jehoshaphat. You can imagine, they are not fighting. He said, the king said to them, don't fight anybody apart from the king of Israel. So they chased Jehoshaphat. Now, Jehoshaphat was not destined to die. Even though everybody headed for him, they fired arrows at him, they were charging at him. But God arranged something. You know what happened? They found him, they caught him before they killed him. As soon as they surrounded him, he said, hey, guys, what's going on? Ah, who is that? I'm King Jehoshaphat. Nobody has been told. Don't fight with young or old, small or great, apart from Ahab, king of Israel. They abandoned him. That's how he survived. It appeared like a game of chance, but it was not. It was that God had not given him over to death. What about the man that was hiding? A Syrian soldier just took his bow and just fired at random. Did not know where Ahab was. Ahab was not dressed as a king. He was disguised as one of the common soldiers. And he was wearing his armor. Yet, the arrow found a gap between the body plate and the, the shoulder one. Found the narrow gap, pierced it, injured him severely. And he died later that evening. Why? Let's go back to the beginning. Because God has said, who will entice Ahab to go to Ramos Gilead so that he might perish there? I have seen people who died in the most mysterious way. A young boy was lying there in his bedroom all alone. Young boy, about 10 years of age. They shouted, screamed for his mother. His mother came and saw him bleeding from the neck. Let me give you the, the, the summary of it. A bullet fell through the roof, pierced his neck, and killed him. They did not break through the door. Nobody did. The home was not attacked. Their door was locked. But a bullet fell through the roof and killed him. 
Those who didn't know about it, they're like, when they told me the story, I said, that's a falling bullet. They went back to the house and looked and saw the hole. I said, it's a falling, people don't know falling bullets kill. In many states in America, you can't shoot into the air. It's banned. Because it kills people. You fire into the air. The bullet will travel several times into the sky, then turn and start accelerating down. By the time it's coming down, remove air resistance. It's almost close to nozzle velocity. But even, listen to me, a rifle, I'm teaching things that are not Bible now. A rifle has, this one that you see policemen, uh, soldiers carry, and policemen. He has up to 300 meters killing distance. Sniper rifles have up to one kilometer killing distance. Yes, if they aim somebody at one kilometer away, if they get him, he dies. Some of them are that powerful. That with air resistance and everything. What I'm going to explain is this. So if a bullet goes up into the air and starts accelerating, by the time it gets back to that level, it may have, the, the speed may now reduce its killing distance to maybe 70 meters, 80 meters, 100 meters. If it's a, rifle, a sniper rifle, to maybe 300 meters. But that's enough to kill somebody. It's, I mean, that's why in many states in the U.S., they ban shooting into the air. And a, a, a reasonable force person does not shoot into the air. He shoots into the ground. If he has to, you know, like, fire a warning shot, they don't fire into the air. It's only for pellets, you know, what they call them, shotguns. You can shoot into anything. That one, they are not very powerful. But rifle, so you shoot into the ground. If you want to fire a warning shot. Once I heard this, I said, this is a falling bullet. They went to the house. I found a hole. There was a security operation around that time. They were doing some operation. I just, I'm not saying that's what happened, but I suspect some, one of the, our major forces, I won't tell you which one, <laughs> they were doing some exercises somewhere far away, far from that area. Maybe somebody fired something into the air. It, cro- it entered into their roof. They don't know till today. I'm sorry, I'm telling you, it's over 10 years ago. They don't know they killed anybody. Around that time, again, this was in the newspapers. Husband and wife were doing wedding, you know? Everybody was doing work. And then they went and gave the, you know, they had some security men there. They went and gave the armed policeman to drink. So out of excitement, hey, boom, he released a shot to, to warm up the atmosphere. You know, these barrier things in the village. Boom! They were dancing when the chief bridesmaid fell down and died. You know the story of, um, one, uh, one of us, uh, governors, the deputy governor in somewhere in Nigeria, I won't tell you which part of Nigeria. The security man accidentally released a bullet. It was a, was a, was an accident. You know, you know, they are convoys when they are passing inside hold up. So people try to follow the convoy. So the security man at the back warned people who are following, come and stop that. So he raised his bullet, he's gone. Just to, like, I'm warning you. The driver following presses, but, but one bullet was released accidentally. An only child, a girl, a young woman, not a girl, standing by the roadside, was hit. She just died there. This life is full of things like that. You will be scared. If you want to think of all the troubles of this life, eh, you will not be able to go anywhere. Even dogs, dogs kill people. Are you getting my point? But what am I telling the whole story? 
I haven't read the scriptures. And I haven't read about Ahab. doesn't scare me. No falling bullet is going to kill me before the day the Lord said I should die. And I don't see why a falling bullet should kill me, sir. Are you getting my point? It's even more honorable to be beheaded for the gospel. Now, for to be sleeping and falling bullet, you're killing for nothing. Say, what happened? Say, why were you sleeping there? You know, God has, God will have warned you, stop sleeping to in places where you're not supposed to sleep. That's what I believe. So I don't want my children like, be careful, oh, be careful, oh, be careful. This kind of fear, fear warning. Rather tell them that the angel of God will protect you. If you are going on the road and a mad dog is attacking people, your angel will kill the dog. No, they are, look, the angel will say, hey, wait, 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 wait. Doggy, doggy. <laughs> Turn or die. Then when your angel wants to kill the dog, you know what will happen? One keke will just be speedy. We just knock the dog. The dog will die. They will not say, hey, we don't want Kekema. Where's Kekema? He has gone. No. It's one angel. Borrowed one keke. Killed the dog. Went and returned it. What did I say? Chance is not God. Somebody say it. Chance is not God. Say it again. Chance is not God. Say it one more time. Chance is not God. Now listen to me. You are not being protected by chance. You are being protected by the angels of God. That's my message. Let's read this together. No matter what it is that's coming against you, remember, nothing is more powerful than our God. You know, sometimes I look at, you know, when America wants to attack some people, I remember, remember Suleimani. You know Suleimani? That guy died in a, in a, in a surprising manner. What I mean, he was surprised that he died. Ah, it's not true. An American drone fires at you. You don't, you don't hear the, you know, maybe the last two seconds you may hear as if siren wants to blast it, as the thing is, no, those things, they, they are moving faster than the speed of sound. So you, there's no way you will hear it. And once the charge detonates, boom, it vaporizes you. So the man did not know he died. Until he tried to lift his body and he was floating. So it makes me think, so that if I'm just going on the road like this, eh? and you know, he died with a lot of collateral damage. There are a lot of people they didn't want to kill, but they happened to be near Job's farm when Satan was attacking. So I thought about it. I said, ah, so if a man is just going on the road and Donald Trump is angry, the Lord is good. <laughs> I just think, I said, what if this guy is going to fire at somebody? Just, people will just die like that. But this is where my message is going. Nobody is more powerful than the angels of God. The angels of God can seize an atomic weapon and say you will not explode. What I want to say, if, it's, if my day of death has not come, let Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin conspire with uh, Xi Jinping. Fire three most powerful drone you know, charges at me. The three of them will land around. They will not know why it did not explode. Do you know how many times they tried to kill even Adolf Hitler? And they couldn't kill him. Something will happen. The last one, I, the one I read of most dramatic, they planted a bomb beside him. The bomb went off. But because God had not yet decreed that the man would die. You know what happened to the, to the, to the bomb? It blew 
Adolf Hitler out of the room, threw him out, tore his clothes, did not injure him. No, you're not getting my point. The man they wanted to kill, the bomb threw him out of the window, tore his clothes to shreds, but did not kill him. Then they now began to explain. You know what happened was that, and this really happened. The man, who, the general who brought the bomb in, before he went in, he reasoned that the charges were too plenty. So he went to the bathroom and halved it. If he was supposed to have like maybe eight packs of dynamite inside there, he removed four. And then he put it down, and they said, these are all explanations afterwards, that between Hitler and the bomb, the leg of the conference table was there. So that that took most of the impact. But he still threw the man out of the window. You know the reason why? It was not his day to die. It was not the day to die. Look, ah, so many stories to tell. Hiroshima and Nagasaki. The bomb that landed on Nagasaki was not aimed for Nagasaki. The American pilot was supposed to go and drop his ammunition on, on, they gave him targets. When they got to the town, they told him to drop it. The cloud cover was too thick. He tried, tried. He couldn't see anything. God just said, not there. So the, the, the spirits blocked the air. He couldn't see anything. Finally, when he was desperate, he left that town. And the next on the line was what? Nagasaki. Boom! He dropped and killed all those people. The place he was headed for, the clouds did not allow him to drop in the original place of intention. See, when God is making up his mind, you know, when he has given a decree, all these things start coming as explanations. What am I going to say? If I was with Suleiman in that day, I just saved his life. No joking. That's why I tell Christian, when you enter a vehicle, see yourself as a blessing. You're on a plane, see yourself as a blessing. Say, so listen, Abra- listen, a Paul was in a boat. He prayed to God, and God told him, I have granted you the life of everybody. My discussion today is to let you know that stop moving as if your life is a game of chance. You are going on the road, it's a dangerous road. Listen to me. Bow your head and utter a simple prayer. Lord, keep me and all my co-passengers on this journey. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You know what God will say to you? I have granted you the life of everybody inside the vehicle. There are times you will say, listen, the vehicle there, eh, I have to take it for certain reasons. But everybody will be fine. I know so many stories of, that, that is, close. One of our brothers, eh, he was in a vehicle. The vehicle had a terrible accident and he wasn't aware. Do you hear what I said? He wasn't aware. Why? He was asleep. You know what woke him up? People trying to hammer the vehicle to pieces so he could come out. It was bam, bam. What's going on? That's when he realized he was trapped inside the vehicle. So they finally got him out. What happened? He doesn't know. All he knew is that he was hearing hammer on metal, and he woke up. Traveling, he had fallen asleep. Had the car some assaulted. It was a bad accident. Too. The brain of the guy next door, stained, next to him, stained his shirt. 
So don't think I'm, it's not something like, uh, no. Blood was on his, just it was not his own. He had a small cut somewhere on his face. To let you know how bad it was, he now said, okay, you know, you have to, maybe, is it police? Or, but he wanted to say, okay, write some from him, your information down. They were trying to take some information from him. So he opened his bag. His bag was with him to bring out a pen. And every pen he had was broken. Do you hear what I said? Every pen he had in the bag with him was broken. Yet he walked out of the place complete. Somebody say, chance is not God. Chance is not God. You are not alive by chance. You are not. You are not alive by chance. You will not be kept by chance. Amen. I want you to believe it. God is with you. Amen. If you are going on a dangerous journey, bow your head and just say, Lord, keep me on this journey. And listen, that prayer is for your faith, actually, just to calm your heart down. Because it was going to keep you anyway. Paul was on that boat, treacherous journey. He told them ahead, this journey is going to be bad. I perceived that this is not going to be a good one. They didn't listen to him. So you know what he did? It's not recorded like that in the Bible, but I believe that's what happened. He just bowed his head and said, Lord, have mercy. They did not listen to me, your prophet, but have mercy on them. I'm asking for the life of everybody on the boat. And the Lord told him simply, the boat going, all, all the merchandise will go. But because you asked, I will spare the life of every individual. It wasn't easy. Things were rough. He had to give certain instructions. At the end of the day, all, after this, men did not eat for days. He said, guys, eat, eat. Don't worry. You will not die. But we'll lose the boat. How do you know? He said, because the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, stood before me today and he told me that he has granted me the life of everybody on this boat. And guess what happened? Nobody died. The boat was totally destroyed. But nobody died. Even if you go to Meduguri, you will not die. Death is not an accident. Especially for you as a child of God, it has to be specially commanded. Let's go to Psalm 91 so we can close. The Lord is good. I wanted us to read, you know, I didn't know, this time flies though. I didn't know we have spoken for this long actually. I wanted us to do a lot of um, reading, but we don't if a bit. Maybe next time we'll come back with, or if we come back to it, we might not. But if we come back to it, we'll just take a lot of declarations. Alright, the Lord is good. I want us to read all of this together. 16 verses. Are we ready? I'm reading, that's why we are reading Psalm 91. Okay, let's do it together like this. So as to make it easier. I'll read verse 1. Everybody read verse 2 loud. And I'll read verse 3. And we'll do like that until we get to the end. And we'll all read the last verse together. I hope you are following. Alright, one, two, let's go. Now, I will start verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Verse 2. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Verse 3. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. For he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. Verse 5, you will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day. 6, of the pestilence that stalks in darkness or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. 7, a thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. 8, you will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord 
my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. Ten, no evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your twent. Eleven, for he will give his angels charge concerning you, to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands, that you do not strike your foot against a stone. Thirteen, you will tread upon the lion and cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Fourteen, because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high, because he has known my name. Fifteen, he will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble, that is in the time of trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. Last of all, with a long life I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. Now that is your portion in the name of Jesus Christ. The Lord will deliver you. He will set you securely on high. You will call upon him and he will answer you. In the time of trouble he will be with you. He will rescue you and deliver you. And you will honor him. With long life you are satisfied. And you will see his salvation. His angels have charge concerning you. They will guard you in all your ways. In the name of Jesus Christ, no evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your dwelling place. In Jesus' name. Can we just bow down heads for a minute and give the Lord thanks for this truth? Just thank God that you know He is God and chance is not God. Just thank Him that you know He is God and chance is not God. Let's continue to thank the Lord and declare those words and say, Lord, chance is not God. You are God. You are God. Chance is not God. There's no coincidence. You are completely in charge. You are the one directing my life. You are the one leading me. Chance is not leading me. You are the one leading me. You are the one directing me. Just confess those things. Confess these words and say, Lord, I'm led by you. I'm directed by you. You are the one leading me. You are the one directing me. You are the one commanding things to come my way. You are the one. You are the one. You are the one that make the decree. And the things, situations just respond to your decree. Lord, we thank you. Because it's all about you. Thank you, Lord, for leading us. Thank you, Lord, for this confidence again. Thank you, Lord, because we walk with this assurance that you are the one who is in charge of our lives. Lord, we give you praise. Blessed be God for this word that you have sent to us this evening again. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of Jesus.